Welcome to the Money Over 50 podcast, brought to you by Dallas Davison and Michael Hogue from Money Over 50 Financial Advisors. This information is general in nature and does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Therefore, you should consider whether the information is appropriate for you and your personal circumstances. If you require personal advice, please contact Money Over 50 Financial Advisors. Here are your hosts, Dallas Davison and Michael Hogue. Welcome to Money Over 50 with Dallas and Michael. Uh, today's topic is why residential property is the worst asset to own in retirement. Dallas, um, your topic, very strong name. Thanks, well, yeah. You haven't been have around the bush. <laughs> I, I, I was going to name it something different, like, you know, is, isn't the best asset or, you know, maybe it's worth, and I thought, no, no, this re, is what re, I think. Reconsider purchasing, I yeah, reconsider yeah, no, purchasing no, no. residential property, but you, you've, no, you've come out... We lo- I like this. Like you haven't, um, you don't have a foot at any of the camp. You have no, uh, made no. a strong. As as I say it though, I think there's pro- there probably is worse assets in retirement. You know, casino chips, uh, things of that nature, probably are, are probably less less good than residential property. But in terms of the main things that we look at, you know, how how do you what assets do you want to be invested into when you retire? You can really only be in cash, property, or shares as a rule of as a rule of thumb and so within each of these there's all these different categories but when most people in australia think of property they think of you know i'll I'll own a residential property and i will someone will rent that off me and i'll live off the rent or some creation of that or i'll own a few properties and i'll live off the rent on those so today i want to talk about why that strategy is i don't think a a good one and and probably there are many many issues with this strategy and i thought i wanted to go through and just run through them and explain why i think that's the case right uh, let's go now um the audience uh, d- uh, just note that dallas has said that this should be a 10 minute podcast in the phone call <laughs> that we had before the before we start the podcast so so let's see let's let's go it's probably one of those things do we call it a podcast or is it just a rant me going on a, a rant, rant for 10 minutes so the point of <laughs> number one, one. Is, number one is it's illiquid so what we're talking about here is if you own you have a million dollars saved for your retirement and it's tied up in three residential properties all worth $330,000. The whole point here is that if something happens in your first year of retirement and you need to pull out $10,000 or $20,000 or or if you need to spend more each month than what you're getting from your net rent, you can't go in and sell 50 metres of the backyard or the bathroom of one of those properties. It's illiquid in that you have to actually sell one of those properties in total to be able to access that equity. Look, it is, and you need a lot of it as well, which I think um, you're going to mention in point two. You need a lot of it to actually pay you enough to live off. Yep, yep, exactly. So, being a liquid is is the problem. Um, is is it becomes a problem due to the second point I've got here, which is the net yield is low. So, like I said there, people sort of talk about, okay, well, I'll own a few houses and I'll live off the rent. It just doesn't tend to happen that way because what I think people do is go, well, I'll, re- I'll have this property that's you know, 300,000, 350,000 and I'm renting it out for 300 bucks a week, or whatever it is. They see that top line figure, but they don't think about what the net yield on that is after you've taken all the costs into account. No, that's spot on. I'm going to rent now because... Um, <laughs> this is, this is actually your, your, your favourite. Given that you own a home, you know about all these costs. You, you, you can't be well, tricked with 
this sort of thing. Well, uh, yeah, I own the house I live in. Um, I don't own a rental house. I used to back in the day, back a long time ago. So I sold it because I thought it was terrible. But um, yeah. uh, here's the thing. So people tell me all the time, oh, but I'm getting $400 a week rent. And when you yeah. pitch your $400 every week, yeah. Yeah. it's nice because you, you pitch your yeah, eight dollars notes and yeah. you can feel that thickness in your hands and you can see yeah. the yeah. shine coming off them. But when I, when I actually say, okay, well, hang on a sec. Um, let's look at that for $400 coming in every week. Uh, look, if we look at your rates and water, um, that yeah. takes away $70 of yeah. that $400. If we look at your home and contents insurance, that takes yeah. away another $70. If yeah. we look at the fees that you pay the real estate, um, that yeah. takes away about $40 uh, yeah. at that point. If we look at the maintenance, it takes yeah. away $80 uh, or more. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. people argue with me all the time, and this is where I really do rant because they say, "Oh no, it doesn't cost me anything to maintain." <laughs> and uh, uh, so I've I've kept the numbers on that. So look, when you when you're taking away all of these things yeah. from that four hundred dollars a week, what you keep is about a hundred and fifty dollars a week, and that's assuming that there's no loan on the house. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now now look, it's 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 vastly different. One hundred and fifty dollars of what you get to keep. It's vastly different from the four hundred dollars that someone's picturing, yes. and, and that's the point. Before you mentioned where the yield is is really bad and it's a liquid, in that yeah. you need an awful lot of uh, yes. you know. Given that the average couple uh, that we uh, see in retirement spends about seventy thousand dollars a year net of tax, you need an awful lot of, yeah. um, of fully paid you know, off, properties. fully paid off properties. Uh, yeah. To uh, considering that from every four hundred dollars uh, yeah. a week in rent that you get, which is about a, a half a million dollar property, by the way, as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. For every four hundred dollars, you get to keep about one hundred and fifty dollars from it. Yeah, and that that ties into the next the next point here is that that yield uh, is not guaranteed, and so the the yield is is either it's either that maximum amount or it's nothing. So you're either getting four hundred dollars a week in rent. Or your tenants not paying the bills and they're being kicked out and it's vacant and you're trying to find someone else to move in. So, but the second part of that is not only do you not is it not a guaranteed yield? You know, nothing's guaranteed in life, but but that yield isn't guaranteed. But those expenses are guaranteed. So whether you've got a tenant in there or not, you still have to pay your rates, you still have to pay your maintenance, you still have to pay your insurances, all that kind of thing. So. That's the, the other side of that equation as well is that not only do you have $400 coming in and, and probably $250 going out, if the $400 stops coming in, you've still got to, you've still got to come up with the $250 to go out. That's right. Uh, point, uh, next point. So uh, this is, I guess, the, the other part of it is the, I guess the risk that I think of with this is you, you, it's very hard to be diversified when you, when you own residential properties. So like, like we've said before, the average person that, that comes in to see us, they really need, they're living on sixty or $70,000 a year. Um, they probably need, uh, you know, by the time they retire, they'll need close to $1.6 million um, saved. So even if you own four, four investment properties fully paid off, that's only an exposure to four different household incomes, if that makes sense. So if you've got, if you've got your tenant, they might be the only person in Australia who's lost their job this week. You know, the rest of the economy is going gangbusters, everything's going fine, but you are really only limited to the exposure of 
of the the financial situation of that that household. So yeah, it doesn't look, help. Yeah, it doesn't help to go. Oh, well, unemployment's really low, but my tenant is the one person who lost the job. Well, that's right, and we see geographical pockets of this, don't we? I mean, we see yeah. um, people that are, that may have four or five properties. Um, yeah. Generally speaking, they're all in the same they're all in yeah. the same city, uh, yeah. which which carries carries its own geographical risk. As in, yeah. if there's a downturn just in that yeah. city, which which um, of course there are from time to yeah. time, geographical yeah. downturns uh, yeah. when the rest of the country can be growing yeah. at a faster rate. Yeah. So yeah, look, look, it's certainly well and truly less diversified uh, by uh, uh, millions of percent. Yeah. Uh, without getting yeah. too technical, than yeah. than it is actually being invested in, say, a broad group of the largest companies in Australia and the largest companies yeah. around the world. So you're well yeah. and truly diversified more yeah. uh, than being spread across yeah. four or five properties in the one city or the one state. Yeah. And that, that's a good point too, because if you think of most people, when they think of if, if you said that, if they if their retirement plan was to own you know four houses fully paid off, and they said I want to be diversified, so I'm going to own one one house in in a, in a few different states, or I'm going to own a house in a few different cities, or however however you want to skin that cat, you still run the risk of you are you are directly linked to those households. So you know you have a you know what we're experiencing at the moment, you know people's incomes are dropping. It doesn't it doesn't really help. To go, okay. Well, I've got a house in Townsville, but I've also got a property in Central Queensland, and I've also got a property in New South Wales somewhere. You you are still you're still linked to one one whole economy, one lot of uh, wage growth, one lot of uh, I guess one country kind of thing. So there, there's a real limit to how much you can be diversified when you own residential property. Yeah, absolutely, good point. Um, so. That I guess ties into the another one here is is that once you've normally gone through those points with people uh, talking about the yield and as we talk about yield, they're talking about obviously the rent that you're getting, and if if people kind of go, yeah, that's not too bad though. But what'll happen though, even if I'm not getting all this yield, there'll be capital growth, and then I'll sell it. I, I own this house that's worth four hundred grand, but in future I'll sell it for eight hundred thousand, and then then I can live on that kind of thing. So what we tend to find is that there's a real mismatch of what people think that that capital growth will be in future and the fact that it can grow you know, for exponentially forever in a day. The One of the points I've written down here is that capital growth on your property is bound by wage growth. So you've probably got a better way of, of describing I feel like I'm sort of struggling to get my point across here, Michael. Do you, do you, know, you know what I mean by this, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. So, so um at the end of the day, the price of something that hasn't changed. Now, what I mean by that is that a three-bedroom house uh, that was a three-bedroom house in 1985 is still a three-bedroom house today. Yeah. Yeah. So, there's been no value change in that. So, yeah. what you've seen over that period of time is a price change. Yep. And the price change, you know, just to use the example, it's from it's grown from 100000 to $250,000. Yep. Um, yeah, depending on where you are, obviously. Yeah, but yeah. but what you've seen is a price change, not a value change. Now, that price change is largely driven by by two things. Um, one that you mentioned is is wage growth. So yep. uh, over time, Pe- people's wages people earn up. more money. Yeah, people earn and more they, money. Uh, yep. That that's that's the biggest determinant of that. 
And um, and and yeah, number two is inflation, I guess, which uh, wage growth is a subset of inflation. Yeah, love that. Yeah, that all comes from economic policy, where yeah. the um, government or the central bank actually injects money into the economy over time because they want the yeah. cost of things to go up slightly. We won't even get into that. No, um, I guess that, that, that's a good point of weed, you to admit that, that uh, I guess to, to make it concrete, if you said someone's earning $1,000 $1, a week at the moment and they're paying $300 a week in rent, that's you know probably fine, sustainable, they can do that. They can't. They can't pay six hundred dollars a week in rent until their wages, you know, basically double. Assuming everything else gets more expensive. If you, if someone's earning a thousand dollars a week and they're paying three hundred dollars a week in rent, and you try to put the rent up to six hundred dollars a week, well, they just can't pay it. They just don't have that spare money. So they, they can't pay it, and the, and the market as a whole can't pay it. And yeah. and there's always an abundance of residential property to rent. So you are bound by. Um, market forces, those market forces are supply and demand. So you can't, like you yeah. mentioned there, you can't just double the rent uh, or you yeah. can't put up the rents indefinitely because of there's just so many other um, supply options for yeah. people to actually go and rent. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, most, yeah. yeah, most of the time, ignoring yeah. Yeah. certain geographical pockets, of course. So, yeah. Look, and, I, and I across think, the board, yeah, it's, it's yeah. an interesting one because you, I think there's a what you tend to find is that over over extended periods, capital growth can you know, bounces up and down within a range, and so things might uh, the the price of a house might double over the course of five years or ten years. But it's a dangerous thing to extrapolate that when your plan is to be retired for thirty years. Just because something has has gone up over five years or ten years, you, you can't really draw a line through that. And say, I was going to mention that. Look, look in Australia, um, and. Yeah, probably only there's only a few other places in the world that have that have behaved like Australia's behaved over the last forty to fifty years, which is we haven't seen a significant um, uh, downturn in yeah. property prices in Australia. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and look, there's other there's there's many many different factors that go into that. One of one of one of such is um, our population growth as a percentage has been huge over that period of time. Yeah. So we've had, uh, you know, we've had, um, uh, we've had uh, uh, net immigration as well, where yeah. other countries haven't had that as much as well. Yeah. Um, look, look, look! It's certainly going to happen, and and even the global financial crisis, when when you know the property prices in New York and uh, Los Angeles and London and all of those types of places were actually dropping, um, yeah. it, it didn't. It, it actually didn't occur that much yeah. in Australia. So no. you have these generational you have these generational, I guess, rules of thumb yeah. that uh, yeah, look if I if I buy property it's gonna double every seven or ten years and yes yeah, so yeah. I'll buy I won't buy one, I'll buy two or three or four of them and I'll use leverage yeah. to do that, which you have to do. Yeah. I mean you actually have yeah. to borrow to do that. So yeah. So um, it's a situation that's that's it's it's just been yeah, the baby boomer generation and Generation X just hasn't seen that happen yet, but it will happen yeah. at some stage. Well, well, I guess it's easier. So in in Townsend in particular, where we are, where we're obviously based, this is an easier conversation to have with people now compared to you know ten years so, ago. Absolutely, if, if, and it's if, an if easy. Yeah, yeah, because because properties property prices haven't really gone up in the last ten years. And so, well, well, Dallas have dropped. 
They've actually dropped. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. people, people, people will tell you, no, they they they've gone sideways. They've dropped a considerable yeah. amount. Yeah. And it's because it's because sales get reported. I feel like yeah, probably been laboring too long on this point. <laughs> but um, and and you've got yeah. it down as a point uh, to mention yeah. as well. But um. But certainly, yeah. Look, certainly, prices have dropped in the last ten yeah. years. Absolutely. Yeah, and so that's that's a that's the where this gets into, and like we won't get in. That could be a whole podcast in of itself of what drives the price of assets, and you know all the rest of it, and what's that likely to do over thirty years, and all the rest of it. But basically, if you look at what what an asset, the return on asset is made up of, it's either it's the yield and it's the capital growth, and so given that. Not only is the is the capital growth, it's it's bound by uh, by by wage increases and how much people can actually afford to to pay in rent in the future. Uh, there's also significant volatility in that, and so your house that you know at the moment, if right now if you went to go and put your house on the market, you've got no idea what you would get for that, and and you know you, potentially you you may not really be able to to sell it at any sort of figure that you'd be happy with. So. It's kind of those things where, yeah, like you're saying, it doesn't it doesn't feel like it because for a lot of people, if you go to put your house on the market and then it doesn't sell at the price you want, you take it off and it doesn't feel like it's dropped that much in value, if that makes sense. Whereas yeah, if look, you and, were and forced it, to sell that. I guess the analogy that I use, so so people people tell me all the time, they say, oh, yeah, um, companies are risky because the price drops. And I say, well, so does property, and, and they look at me like I have two heads. And, and yeah, and um, the, the whole reason that share prices of companies drop is because you, you have a guaranteed buyer for that share. Yeah. That yeah. second you want to sell, you have a guaranteed buyer. It's just yeah. that you have to accept the price that they're going to pay. So, right now, the guaranteed yeah. buyer will only pay 70 cents in the dollar. Now, if you were to yeah. auction your house. Uh, every single day for 365 yeah. days of the year, um, yeah. you would actually to get a true value of that house. You would actually have to take the best offer on that day, and yeah. talk about volatility. You would see absolute wild swings. Man, yeah, you would was, see one day there'd be no buyers a, around. <laughs> wouldn't this be a great way for you to really yeah, annoy I'm, your real estate agent mates? Just say, "Hey, I'm trying to run yeah. an experiment. I want you to auction my house every weekend for the next 52 weeks." Just to see what prices we get for it, they, they well, wouldn't do it for well, that. But also, geez, especially in geographical pockets, you could put a four hundred thousand yeah. dollars house on the market. But sometimes you'd be you'd be you'd be having to drop it by ten thousand dollars. Here's the analogy: you have to be dropping it by ten thousand dollars every ten minutes. Someone didn't yeah. buy it at the price yeah. that you had it. Yeah. Uh, until such time as someone comes along and actually says, "Yeah, I'll yeah. snap that up now." Sometimes yeah. that house would get to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars before yeah. someone yeah. said yes, I'll buy it. Um, yeah. Other times, it'd, it'd yeah. be four hundred and ten or four hundred and twenty thousand dollars. So you'd see the same yeah. wild fluctuations. Um, yeah. All volatility is is the price that you would get for that item that very second or that very day. Yeah. So so yeah, yeah. and and again, um, without labouring it too much, uh, look, it's it's extremely volatile. Like the prices yeah. of, of houses are extremely volatile. If you had to sell at that point in time, um, yeah. then you would see the, 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 the price swings uh, significantly. Yeah. So I guess that's where to, to sort of summarize that. That's, I guess, my two points there with everything that I've gone through already is that you, your yield isn't guaranteed. We're not even guaranteed, but your yield isn't something that you can sustainably rely on to live off. 
and your capital growth isn't something that you can sustainably rely to live off either. You know what I mean? It, so that you sort of yes, of those two, you you don't have you don't have certainty of either of those, even though it feels like a safer asset. And that's kind of my thing is that you no one's saying you shouldn't be invested into volatile assets, but you should go in with your eyes open, knowing completely. Okay, is this something that's safe, or is this a is this a defensive asset, or is it a growth asset? And I think that's where residential property gets mischaracterised as a safe asset when neither the yield or the capital growth on that is a safe bet. That's right, and I think people think um, ultimately it's safe because they can drive past and check it. Yeah, and and yeah, we've talked about this before how you can be diversified across seventeen hundred companies. Yeah. Um, in Australia and around the world, but that comes to you on one piece of paper. So, your statement from your investment fund manager yeah. Uh, yeah. that has you diversified across 1,700 different companies comes to you on one piece of paper. So, it actually, yeah. uh, you hold up a piece of paper next yeah. to uh, a house. <laughs> Yeah. And it doesn't feel diversified at all, that piece of no. paper. What feels yeah, what feels more safe and secure is the is the bricks and mortar that you're looking at. Yeah. So and I that, think that's what that's, 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 that's the thing with you, you can clearly understand with, with all of these things, you know, it's something in Australia in particular that you know, that I can again I can understand, I can empathize with why that feels that way. Like it, it definitely makes makes intuitive sense if you drive past a house and you can look at it and you can touch it and go I can see my tenants in there cooking dinner and they're going to pay me rent because they want a roof over their head. It feels like something tangible and easy to understand. Um, it's just one of those things that the numbers the numbers do not stack up. No, that's right. Um, so a couple of final points before we before we finish this 10-minute podcast. It's gone for probably 20 minutes already. <laughs> <laughs> um, the the so the second last point, which is a bit more of a technical point, which is something that we, we talk about at great length, how to – how to best invest your retirement savings um, yeah, in retirement when you are drawing out a regular basis. And like I just said, you want your you want some assets invested in in growth assets and some in defensive assets. Now, the problem with having residential property is that every now and then you will get a big maintenance bill. And so what you actually need is a fair bit of cash set aside to meet those bills. So not only do you, like I just said, not only is that asset itself not safe, um, so, you know, it's, it's basically your residential property is a growth asset. You need more money. You, you can't have all of your money invested in houses because you need some cash sitting there so that when something goes wrong, when there's something wrong with the roof or the air conditioning is replaced or whatever. So you basically can't have all of your money invested that you, that you probably wanted to have invested anyway because there's, so there's a cash drag on that investment. Yeah, that's a great point. It's a point that I haven't ever given much consideration to but but you're right and and to have enough residential yeah. property to pay you enough income yeah um like we said we you need full you need to fully own at least yeah. three four five six properties yeah. to be able yeah. to pay you that income so yeah so you imagine yeah you, 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 have got, you own six aside, properties something's going to go wrong every year yeah you'd have to, you have to set aside quite a lot of cash yeah. Um, just for even Murphy's law, that three of the six properties required yep. a big yep. maintenance project. Uh, yep. Uh, yep. For in, so, in one particular year, uh, or, or, so, or at the same time. So. Yeah, yeah. So that uh, that cash drag. That's probably another podcast in and of itself. So I won't I won't labour that point too much either. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's that oh, is something um, that, that I'll uh, do. Yeah. 
yeah, so, so um, sorry, uh, I, I didn't realize you were trying to look to pick a fight there, Dallas. Um, <laughs> when you, when you, uh, when you failed to move on, uh, yeah, the audience, uh, will be, will be scratching their heads thinking, what are these guys about? So, yeah. Dallas and I, I don't know, so I'm going, we've had a, I'm going, we have an I'm ongoing argument. debate about how much cash to hold. Uh, yeah. uh, when you're in retirement as a retirement portfolio. So we'll talk about that at another time. But <laughs> yeah. um, So my final point with this, with this 10-minute podcast, which is uh, from, from a very lazy man around the house, which is me, is that there's just work involved in managing properties. And there just is. And there's no way around it. doesn't matter whether you've got an agent or whether you yeah, look, don't, whether you um, do it yourself. It's, it's not as easy as just saying, I'll hand that over to an agent and they'll, they'll take care of it. So separate to all of the other issues in terms of your financial situation, there's also the lifestyle choice of do you want to be stressing about that and worrying about is my tenant taking care of it or not or is my agent doing a good job of managing it or not and you know, what else can go wrong? Yeah, absolutely. Look, um, it, yeah, if the, well, whilst an agent's managing it, there are, yeah, you know, it doesn't absolve you of all the decisions that you need to make and all the things that you need to get involved in, of course. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and look, we've heard multiple stories of people that are disappointed with their real estate agents and the way that they've managed as well. So, yeah, yeah in many cases, they're paying for something to, to free up their time and then, yeah. And then that hasn't worked out and they've had to move that agent on and move a new agent in, which yeah. has caused um, quite a bit of quite a bit of work and yeah. um, and, and and I guess mental anguish as well. So yeah. that's the other part yeah, is is the not just the work but I guess the mental energy of going, oh, it's just a decision to be made and something that you've got to worry about and what you've got to think about. So yeah. uh, anything else that you've got to add there, Michael? Um, the only thing I was going to add is 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 um, for all the listeners out there. Whenever we say, I think the new rule of thumb is when we say something is going to be <laughs> ten minutes, ten minutes, half an hour, triple it, triple it, <laughs> and if we come in underneath that, yeah, uh, um, Mate, that, that's that's we we should do the reverse of the. We do the we should do the reverse with our budgeting for time uh, for a podcast as what I do for clients when they talk about how much it's going to cost to maintain their property. If they tell yes. me it's going to cost ten grand a year, I assume it's going to cost thirty grand a year. 30, so 30, when we say it's a it's a ten minute podcast, it's probably a thirty minute podcast. <laughs> Good place to wrap up. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Money Over Fifty podcast with Money Over Fifty Financial Advisors. For more information and resources, visit the Money Over 50 website, mo50.com.au. We look forward to catching up again soon.